via text. Yeah. Calling so someone is ridiculous. Ridiculous. And it's oh, like, I remember one time you just called me to be like, hey, I don't have that person's home address. And I was like, I never need their home address. Why would you call me to tell me that? I never need it. Literally ever. I have made a pattern with my mom. Like if she really needs to talk, then she yeah. has to text me. Can you call me? <laughs> and then I will call her. Like I don't, I don't want to do a conversation I don't have to do. Yeah. Now, if I find myself texting like a paragraph with multiple questions in it, sometimes I'm like, maybe it's better if I just call. Yeah. But that's rare. Yeah. <laughs> that's very, very rare. <laughs> Um, but we're not here to talk about electronics. No, we're here to talk about history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we're drinking the entire time. And we are not historians. And Katie has new sunglasses. I do. Those are so fancy. Aren't they cute? Really, <laughs> those are really, really fancy. Well, I've had the same gray pair, but I've been leaving them at my parents' house again every Sunday I you know and I've had that pair though for like two years okay it's been like I've never had a pair of sunglasses that long because right. I love them they're my right. favorite pair but I was at Target and I was like I need to just get like a backup pair so these are my backups but they're <laughs> so really you'll leave cute. them here tonight so I'm gonna leave them here tonight <laughs> um and uh, but it's okay so now I have four pairs of sunglasses because I also need two backups for Casey because he gets really upset when we get in the car and he doesn't have sunglasses yeah 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 so uh, I spent a lot of money on sunglasses this week, uh, <laughs> and I saw someone get run over in the Target parking lot, which was really upsetting. Run over or hit? Run over. No. So this is a crazy story, actually. I was in the Target, and the lady checking me out was like, da 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 like, you know, you got to really be looking behind you and someone's, you know, walking in the parking lot looking at their phone, like, you know, that's not his fault that he got hit by, like, da 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 And I was like, did this lady hit someone with her car? And then another guy came over and he goes, ambulance is on the way. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> And I was like, okay. And I go out to my car and like the whole staff is just outside. And I look over and like, there's just a body under a car. No, there wasn't. Yes. Full on. Like, is it under like, the tire or just no, under the car? just under the car. Oh my God. Like, it looked like he was like fixing something, but he wasn't. He had just been run over. That's insane. I what do you know. do in that situation? Do you back up or you stay put? I, you stay put. You, you definitely stay, stay put. put. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. a hit and run you then. Can't, like, you can't. <laughs> but if you're like, back up, oh my gosh, that's crazy. But also, crazy, I was like, how crazy. did that person get so far under when that guy was just backing out of a parking space? How fast was he backing out? Right. Insane. Uh -huh. So anyways. Um, <laughs> you're busy watching your very own town's hit and run. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because so busy. <laughs> you, and then you have to wait around because you don't know if the police are going to interview her. You yeah. know, everything's crazy. So you're listening to this though to like pass the time <laughs> and you can't look up what these women look like because you have to be alert so <laughs> in order for you to get a picture in your head of what these women look like we're going to describe them for you we're gonna get a little physical physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like so I'm doing Miriam Anderson and she's often in like a gown mm -hmm. or a wrap dress, a lot of times with a fur coat, usually with some sort of beautiful pearl necklace. She has short hair parted to the side and often curled under at the bottom. And she has this perfectly symmetrical like face. I think mm -hmm. like her eyes are like symmetrically in the right they're very healing. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it just seems right. And then like very full, like bright lips. Mm, mm -hmm. And that's what Miriam looks like. Okay. So I'm doing Anna Kayona. 
So we obviously don't know exactly what she looked like, but we are told that she was extremely beautiful. And we know that she was Taino or uh, an, an indigenous Caribbean woman. So we can assume that she had brown skin with long, dark hair and dark eyes. She would have worn traditional Taino clothing, such as just like simple loincloth and maybe some feathers. Um, and she probably had some sort of headdress on to distinguish her as a chief. Ooh, so yeah the pic- <laughs> the pictures of her or like the drawings of her yeah. are very beautiful they are and she's always like just like standing up like very strong yeah. she was a very strong woman so yeah so that's what you look like Ooh, <laughs> do you want to know what you're drinking i do because this is lovely okay so this is called the golden flower so it is mezcal gold schlager mango juice uh lime juice and you shake that all up and here's the trick you put it into a glass but you garnish the glass so you'd rim half of it with chili powder and half of it with cinnamon so i don't know what's what yeah so you can either you can kind of like choose your own adventure like do you want a sweet garnish (laughs) or a spicy garnish because that's how i feel like she is she's like you know i'm acting sweet but like I really want you to get the fuck out of my face. Okay. So you can kind okay. of choose your own adventure. I love so, that. and then you garnish with also a lime wedge. So, cheers. Mm, well, I got the cinnamon side. Oh, and you do a little bit of ginger ale on top. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm. I really like it. Mm-hmm. It's so good. We're we're really mm. doing well. Um, we're on a roll. We are, which is g- going to be funny because I don't know what cocktail I'm making for the second half of the Oh, episode. no. I like half crafted a cocktail. Um, so we'll see what happens. Okay. Well, I crafted two because I accidentally researched the wrong person for the first half of the week, but that's fine. Yeah, we'll just deal with that one next week. So. I would give you my Queenie's Cherry Martini, but we have to wait till next week. Yeah, too bad. <laughs> I mean, we have enough liquor in this house. We'll figure something out. Oh, yeah. Okay, so... I only know that this woman is set like pre Spanish colonialization, I think of the Americas or like right on that timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it really, any image of her that I've ever seen, she looks very in charge mm-hmm. and that I think I know she like was from the Caribbean islands and perhaps like, the island of Hispaniola after we named it. Mm-hmm. And when I say we, I mean the white yeah. people. After the white people <laughs> named it, they, they changed the name. Mm-hmm. But I don't know anything about her life. I don't know what she did. All right. Perfect. Well, I got a lot of this from a couple podcasts. Uh, one called Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Another one called Scandalous, Obscure, and Fabulous. And, of course, the website Rejected Princesses. Um, so obviously this is entrenched in colonialism, so it r- is really brutal. There is, uh, some slaughtering happening later in the story. So just, uh, take care <laughs> when listening because it gets a little brutal. Yeah. Okay. So Ana Keona was born around 1474 in Yaguana, the capital of Zaragua, which is present day, as you said, Hispaniola or like Haiti in the Dominican Republic. She was Taino, which is the indigenous people of the Caribbean islands who, because of this story, were nearly completely wiped out. Mm. (laughs) And her name in the native language means golden flower. So that's why I made the cocktail super yellow. It's very golden. Very golden. And we're drinking Coronas as well, which are also golden. Exactly. Lots of yellow happening here. That's a 
happy color. I need happy right now because exactly. it snowed in Maryland today in April. Unbelievably upsetting. Because <laughs> it's not Montana. I I hate it so much. Oh God. Okay. So. During her time, Hispaniola, which was then called Aiti, was comprised of five kingdoms, and she was part of the royal family of one of these kingdoms. Um, so that's Zaragua. Um, Anacoana's brother, Bohicio, was the chief of their kingdom, and under his rule, he ended up consolidating power over some of the territories like west of Zaragua in 1475. So she's just a baby. And one of the ways he did this was he married off his baby sister, <laughs> one-year-old, Anacoana, hmm. to another chief, Keonabo, uh, uh, the chief of the Maguano. And he's like full-grown man? We don't know. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> so it's either like this is possibly a polygamy, a polygamy thing or it's like they were yeah, betrothed at birth type thing. Exactly. Okay. So we know, definitely know that he's older, but I also don't know if he was a young chief because I imagine right. her brother is because they're very close, her and her brother, and she's one year old and he's already chief. Yeah, well, remember in the beginning, though, of um, Sleeping Beauty where, mm. like, Philip is, like, clearly, like, eight to ten. <laughs> and, and his parents are the same. Oh, yeah. yeah. But she's, like, in a cradle. Do you know oh, what I mean? the cradles. <laughs> <laughs> I said that the other day. <laughs> Yeah. And somebody was like, what, what was that? I was like, you know, the gargoyle and Sleeping Beauty, you know, <laughs> oh, <not quite. laughs> so I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Listen, you were with a Disney expert. <laughs> so, um, I quote that line too frequently because it, there's no use for it. Literally none. Anyways. So yeah, he's checking out that cradle and <laughs> um so anyway so she probably was like again like betrothed to him and then married him when she was of age okay but it seemed to like work out for everyone like nobody seemed upset about this like you know she didn't seem like you know upset you know whatever like no hostile takeovers quite yet um the taino people preferred to make peace and negotiate and marry off rather than start wars they were an extremely peaceful people so this was kind of a typical way to you know increase power was to just negotiate and you know especially by marriage and through this marriage she has one daughter higuamota and when she is old enough and she is the chief's wife of the Maguana of Maguana. She is actually the most powerful woman in Aiti. Oh, interesting. Because if either her brother or her husband dies, she gets either kingdom or both of them. Oh, neat. Yeah. And so because she's like the sister of a chief and the wife of a chief, she is like full blown. Both. She's number one, number one bad bitch. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And she becomes kind of famous on the island, not only because she is a powerful royal, but she's a poet. She's a songstress. She's a dancer. And people just loved her. And she was also an oral historian. Hmm. She really took it upon herself to keep the history and the stories of her people alive in her community. But of course, we know that this story and the historical narrative of her people take a bit of a turn when Columbus sailed the ocean blue and crash landed, unfortunately, in Haiti. <laughs> he is greeted by the Taino people, and they, again, are friendly, peaceful people. They welcome these strange people with gifts and food and human decency. <laughs> and one of the Wait, first. <laughs> what did they do? Human decency. I know. I've never what even a mistake. Heard of that. <laughs> and some of the first people to go and greet Columbus 
were Anaconda, Anaconda and her brother. And as we will believe, as we will see, she's a firm believer in the peace method. And this was kind of like, hey, we are here to formally greet you. You know, we're the rulers of these kingdoms. And right off the bat, they're like, we want to negotiate with you. We see that you're here. Welcome. But like, here are the ground rules. Right, right, right. And here's our bill of rights. Yeah. <laughs> here's what we do here. Yeah, exactly. And so they're like, okay, cool. And Columbus is like, of course. And they're like, great. Well, stay as long as you like. Okay. So it's kind of like when you go into <laughs> someone's house and uh-huh. you're like, should I take my shoes off? And they're yeah. like, yes, please. That's a rule we have in our house. And then you just don't do it. That's what Columbus, <laughs> Columbus is just going in. I feel and stomping on the couch in his shoes. See, I feel that Columbus came in and took all of his clothes off and just started using their shower. Just started rolling around on the yeah. carpet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so he's being greeted very warmly. And of course he literally like licks his lips and rubs his hands together menacingly. He's going to be like, it's going to gonna be like taking candy from a baby. Like this scene in Beauty and the Beast with the old man exactly. tapping his fingers together. Mm-hmm. Mm. And he immediately saw them as a weak and inferior people because they were just good and kind. Do we know how they communicated? I have no idea, but I've been wondering that this whole time. Is it like Pocahontas where she learned (laughs) English immediately? (laughs) Like the Disney movie? (laughs) No, it's not like that. I'm trying to remember what she said and I can't remember it. In Pocahontas? Yeah. (laughs) I, it was probably absurdly racist. Yeah, probably. Whatever it was. (laughs) Wingapo. (laughs) Oh my God. That was definitely it. (laughs) Okay. They put their hands together. Yep. We just pantomimed the perfect. So, of course, Mel Gibson. (laughs) Of course, he plays along. He plays nice with Anna Kaona and her brother, even inviting them to take a ride on his boat. And they really walk away feeling like they have done some solid negotiating. Things are going to be fine Um, because they've made some deals. And as long as they, you know, just like pay him with food and goods and stuff and like let him come on the land when he wants to, you know, he won't be a dick. Um, but then Columbus starts pushing in and of course, straight up slowly colonizing the island. So he and, is a dick. Yes. And the Tainos keep being like, oh, oh, okay. You want that? Oh, and that too? And you want to dig up all the natural resources for this gold metal you have? Okay. Okay. That's fine. Okay. And they just start taking over the entire island and they gradually rape, murder, and enslave the native population. And Ana Kaona's husband Kaonabo is like, okay, I know that our whole thing is like, we're peaceful, but this is getting really crazy. And I think we need to rebel. So he leads a rebellion and they attack one of the Spanish settlements, La Navidad, but they don't have nearly as much manpower or weapon power as the Spaniards. So they were beaten pretty easily. And Kaonabo is arrested and sent back to Spain to become a slave. But on the way back to the ship, they encounter, but on the way back to Spain, the ship encountered a storm and Kaonabo and everyone else on board died in a shipwreck. No. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. So they take the chief and they're like, okay, you are talking back to us. We're going to put you on a boat and send you across the ocean to be a slave in a continent you've never been on. Yeah. Just to like put insult to injury. Just like, we're not just going to kill you. You're like not- we're, oh. yeah, horrible. And not just like you're the chief, but like we're taking you away from being a leader of a nation and making you the poorest class that we have. Yeah, absolutely. That's very insulting. So some people are like, 
maybe the shipwreck wasn't so bad for him. Like, of course, it's terrible because he yeah. died, like, and he shouldn't have. Ooh, but like, like in the ocean too. I that know. sounds uh. horrifying. That's my biggest fear: dying in the ocean. Oh yeah, horrible. I have dreams about it all the time. Stranded in the middle of the ocean, even on a raft, but yeah. specifically with no raft is yeah. my fear. Yeah, yeah, I have dreams about it constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after this incident, uh, I mean. She's a widow at 19 and kind of a refugee with a young daughter in tow. So she goes back to her home, the kingdom of Zaragua, to rejoin her brother because Columbus has obviously just taken over. Um, and she goes back and she serves as kind of his right-hand woman and his most trusted advisor. So eventually Christopher Columbus is like, okay, um, look, I've got other indigenous populations to wipe out. So like, are you guys good here for a bit? Uh, I feel like we're pretty settled. Uh, I'm just going to leave my brother in charge. His name is Bartholomew. He's super cool. Everybody give him more wel- a warm welcome and a round of applause. The other Columbus, everybody. <laughs> Bartholomew Columbus is not a name I've ever mm, heard. Yeah. Apparently, there's another Columbus. <laughs> I feel like we need to make another Bolin, the other Bolin girl movie, <laughs> yeah. but with the other Columbus. No, I don't think he needs any more attention. <laughs> true i'm so tired of the columbus brothers (laughs) so barty's in charge now and they start to run out of gold and shit on the land that they had already ruined so they start to press up on zaragua it was like one of the more like untouched areas and basically he's like i want all your land and anacoana kayona just keeps pressing her brother to just be patient and work with him she's like look these resources that we have are not worth the lives of our people. The other people, they tried to resist and they were fucking slaughtered. She was like, we just need to like play their game, be nice. And like, they were Christians. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she was like, just, you know, peaceful. Okay. And he's like, okay. Pump the brakes, bro. <laughs> bro. Yeah, pump them. So they basically then start paying the Spaniards to occupy their own land. It sucks. It absolutely sucks. This goes on for a few more years. They're like paying rent for their own house. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, and again, I'm like really doing a quick summary of all this. I'm sure that it is a lot more deeply involved and there's a lot more going on here. But there's like years and years and years. They were there for, I mean, this story ends after 11 years. This is 11 years of conflict. So like I'm wrapping it up in like a very small bow, but like this is a really big deal and like i don't mean to make light of it but like i'm trying to tell like her story through it and like i don't know there's just like not much we know about the ins and outs of what exactly happened yeah so well i mean we've destroyed uh history by telling it yeah via colonialists so we don't have their story yeah so this goes on for a few more years, but in 1500, Bohicio dies, and we don't know how. It seems like of natural causes, um, and Anacayona becomes the head chief, and she is getting worried that they can't keep up just the, like, you know, paying them the goods and stuff forever, so she decides to kind of tackle this problem from another angle. She's like, if they just see us as people, then they are less likely to kill us. So she starts encouraging relationships between the soldiers and the Taino women. So she's like, oh, why don't you guys get together? You guys make such a cute couple. And then they get together. And like, you know, she's like, maybe not in like a rape situation. That would be great. But like in an actual relationship. She's, and not, like, she's not whoring her no, citizens out. No, she's not whoring her citizens out. She's just like encouraging these relationships to be like, if they have families, then like they're not going to want to kill their wife's people. They're going to see you as people. Yeah. yeah. So 
she's doing that. And then she starts like really being even more overly friendly. So whenever they have dignitaries come from Spain to visit the settlement, she puts on a big show for them. She throws banquets and she literally like sings and dances for them. Like I'm a good Taino woman. (laughs) Don't kill us, please. And like, just, don't you love us? Don't Aren't you love fun? us? Aren't we great? It's like when Don Draper was married to Megan. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Zooby, zooby, zoo. I love. Zooby, zooby, zoo. I was on the couch cringing during that. I had scene. to look away. I was I, cover- away. I was absolutely covering my eyes. I was like, this is not what he wants. This is not at all. The amount of uncomfortable that Don Draper has on his face in that scene. I like to bottle it up and spew it all over my enemies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly (laughs) exactly this is for you columbus um just kidding he probably never felt shame ever in his life which is unfortunate (laughs) so (laughs) let's bottle up that don draper and send it on over so she's being really nice and then every time a new ship comes in she's like wow what a great ship the cannons are huge you guys must be so proud of them and she's just complimenting them left and right a boy's cannon Uh, favorite favorite thing she's trying so hard and just giving up honestly like so much of like her pride and just like her personhood just to like just so like they won't murder her people so at one point, this guy, Fernand de Guevara, is like, hey, you said we can marry women of the tribe. Well, I want to marry your daughter. Who's probably, again, like a baby at this point. You know, I mean, she can't be that old. <laughs> like, t- like, Anna Kayona is 29 at this time. So oh. even if she had her at 13, like, this girl would only be 12 years old. And that's like if she had her at 13, which is likely. Possible. It's possible. possible unlikely, yeah. But I'm sure this made her gag in her mouth but she agreed she was like absolutely you can marry my daughter (laughs) which isn't again really upsetting but she gives them her blessing but guavara's super um supervisor superior officer whatever puts his foot down and he is like absolutely not and i'm sure anna kiona is like woo dodged a bullet there (laughs) (laughs) And, like, nobody knows why he said no. Like, like don't marry I the think, chief's daughter. Yeah, I think he's like, okay, that's a little too close. Like, you guys can, like, you know, do whatever you're doing with, like, Native women. The but commoners. he's like, the commoners. But he's like, this is too much. Like, we're not trying to, like, I think he saw it as, like, potentially, like, no, we're not marrying into royalty. Like, mm-hmm. that's too mm-hmm. far. Like, they're it's getting how, a little like, too comfortable. Meghan Markle's kid could potentially yeah. be president. You've gone <laughs> yeah. too far. <laughs> too far. King George, you've gone too far. He's <laughs> <laughs> letting your way back in here. <laughs> <laughs> so, Guevara did not take this one. He goes, I want to marry that child. So, he starts rebelling against his own officer, and he leads a small mutiny of fellow soldiers who all wanted to freely marry Taino women. (laughs) So, I mean, her plan is working. I mean, but if you, okay, if you got shipped across the ocean, you're a single dude, perhaps the entirety of your career is going to be in this place. People died when they were like 32. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, why not get married and like live happily? Why not? Well, it's part of the reason, 
Okay. It's part of the reason apartheid became so strong because a lot of the British forces were in South Africa and mingling and creating families with the people. And then when like Great Britain got around to like checking out South Africa, they were like, oh, shit. No. Like, that's why there's like a huge population of biracial people in mm-hmm. South Africa, like pre apartheid, yeah. because they were like, okay, now everybody get divorced. Get yeah. Divorced, get, divorced, <laughs> get out of here. We can't have this. Annulments for everybody. Um, I don't care if you've been married. It's 17 years with five kids. Annul it. King Henry VIII said it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So this causes a pretty big and lasting rift between the Spanish soldiers. It kind of divided alliances between their own army. Mm. So if you think things are not fucked up enough on this island, um, you have not made the acquaintance of Nicholas Ovando. So in 1502, Nick, mm -hmm, old Nicky was made the governor of Aiti, and he is a certified paranoid asshole. He starts to get it in his head that Anakayona is his number one enemy, and he feels like this whole nice and generous, like, yeah, marry my child, bride, daughter, as long as you don't kill us. This whole thing is a huge act. It's a ruse. It's a ruse. He's like, don't you see... The evil seductress is using her and her people's wild sexuality to bewitch us all. Katie. And over I the next feel that about nice people all the time. <laughs> I'm like, there's no way that's real. <laughs> but that's the thing. In a sense, he's right because it wasn't. She right, wasn't she doing is, this because she was a nice person. She's orchestrating to save her people. Exactly. Okay. But where he got it wrong was she wasn't doing it to eventually kill him and take over she was literally just doing it to be like don't kill us Mm -hmm. so we're gonna go back to abby adams all men are tyrants yeah we have to make new merch that's true true. did you see that miss krista got our merch for her birthday Uh she posted it on instagram her daughters got merch from our store (laughs) that's so sweet we have to update that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we we have better stuff available she got a post. mask and sweatpants That's so great mm-hmm. oh my gosh i love it so okay where am i <laughs> who knows who knows oh 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 that okay he thinks it's a ruse he thinks it's a ruse so and like He's people are, people are like mm, i don't think so but over the next year he just can't shake this idea that she is just plotting and waiting to take over the spanish army yo i've been there though i felt like that about people like with her population of like zero <laughs> and no weapons and everybody has smallpox. yeah everybody is sick and dying and he's like they're of course planning an attack <laughs> so biological warfare Katie, yeah so in 1503 he decides to beat her at her own imaginary game <laughs> and he says hey you know what? I think this turmoil has gone on long enough. Why don't we meet? We'll make a peace treaty, you know, and just really like put this to bed. And she's like, uh, yeah, I mean, that sounds great. I would love that. That's what I've been asking for for a thousand years. So (laughs) he's like, awesome. Your place, maybe like next week. And she goes, awesome. I'll take care of everything. Like, just come on by. But if you could like pick up a couple bags of ice on your way, that would be awesome. Listen, I (laughs) I have booze, food, lights, entertainment. Just bring the ice. I'll pop up in the cooler. Exactly. He says, absolutely. And he goes, you know what? Why don't we just go ahead and make this like a bona fide blowout by inviting all the other chiefs around Aiti? Just like a giant love fest. So she does. 
So he heads over to this event with 300 armed soldiers. And they get to this extremely lavish celebration. Everybody's having a good time. She is, as usual, dazzling him and his army with beautiful songs and dances and, like, plays and whatever. And then Avando is like, I love all these performances. You guys are so talented. We can't really sing or dance, but we do have sword fighting skills. So he sends some of his soldiers out to perform kind of like a fencing match demonstration. Yeah, it's like a little medieval times. (laughs) Everybody is like cheering for their night. Exactly. It's going to be wonderful. (laughs) I I like the Spaniard. I like the Spaniard too. They're all Spaniards. (laughs) So, (laughs) So... They're like, wow, I mean, yeah, this is cool. I mean, I feel like I've seen this episode before when you were slaughtering my neighbors. But, yeah, it's cool seeing it (laughs) when it's not directed at me. Um, And then he does make it directed at them. He gives his soldiers a signal. The soldiers turn on the Taino people. No. They immediately arrest Anakayona. But for the other chiefs, they bind their hands and feet and then tie them to the center of a hut and light it on fire, burning them alive. They continue to murder the rest of the Taino people by hand and like just absolutely brutal. It's a massacre. This is all while Chris Columbus is over on the other side of the ocean. Yeah. He's not like here at this point. He Mm -hmm. likes got it going though. Mm -hmm. So all this is happening, but those other soldiers who didn't like this, they loved the Taino people. We're like, what the fuck is happening? Like, we did not sign up for this. So they start gathering up some horses and they're just like throwing these people onto the horses and like get Go, the fuck run. out of here. How far can you go? The island's not that fucking big. Not that big. I mean and, it's one of the biggest ones in the Caribbean, but yeah. still like it's not that big. Where yeah. can you hide? So they're trying to help these people get away, but it is just out of their control and these people also eventually get caught and the Tainos who attempted an escape had their legs cut off and were left to die. Stop. Mm-hmm. I, that makes me very upset. Yeah. Ovando would defend his actions by telling people that the banquet was obviously just a ruse. Anakayona and the Tainos were planning the exact same kind of attack. We just beat them to the punch, which is obviously not true. And then he wanted to make an example of Anakayona, which is like, why? She's like the only person left on this fucking island. But he puts her on trial for treason and for plotting to overthrow him. It's obviously a kangaroo trial. And the only evidence he has is the sworn testimony and confession of the other chiefs. Meaning the chiefs that he burned alive. And he's like, they told me the Uh, entire plan right before I murdered all of them. Right. He tied together and burned at the stake. Yeah. He goes, but trust me, this is what they said. Of course, she is convicted. She is found guilty. And she is given the chance, though, to make a deal. They say, if you pledge your loyalty to Spain and become one of our concubines, we'll spare your life. And she is obviously just extremely offended she's like i was basically already doing that just to save my people and you've already slaughtered them so like you can go fuck yourself Mm. and in 1503 she was executed by public hanging at the age of 29 oh my god this is all before she's 30 yep yeah a mess this is a mess nicholas avando renamed the place where she was murdered 
to the city of true peace. That's what he named it in honor <laughs> of his recent triumph. How fun. He then redesigned the coat of arms and made it a rainbow and a cross with a dove bearing an olive branch soaring overhead. Yeah. Him and Joan of Arc. What a psycho. <laughs> but a lot of the men, as I said, didn't like this horrible turn that Ovando had made. They could see clearly that like these were peaceful people and like this was not okay. So, a lot of them went and sent word back to Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand, and they told them what happened, which is one of the reasons we know what happened. Right. Well, because they're the ones that funded the entire trip yeah. to get to, quote unquote, India. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they're not the best people. but No, they're not. When, <laughs> but when Queen Isabella hears this, and, like, obviously she's okay with a lot of horrible things, she is disgusted by this story. And she immediately removes Avando from his post. She fires him. Good. And, uh, I mean, it's obviously a little too late and obviously not really addressing all of the other atrocities that had come, you know, with him and Columbus <laughs> all over the globe. To give you some perspective, when Christopher Columbus arrived in Haiti, the population was around half a million. By the time Anakaona was murdered, about 11 years later, it had dwindled down to 60,000 Native people. So, Wait, 11 million to 60? No, no, half a million. Oh, okay. 500,000. Like, yeah. Okay. 500,000 to 440,000 people That's, killed? I mean, it's terrible. Some people think that Anakaona was weak, and I think they want her resistance to look different. I think that they wish that she was more aggressive, and she was one of those people that, like, you know, like stood up and, like, led an army in to beat them. But modern political analysis tells us that she was doing the best she could to save the most people. She knew what the Spaniards were capable of, and she knew that active resistance would lead to slaughter. So she just did the smartest thing by just trying to make peace. And unfortunately, you can't make peace with someone who is so, I mean, everyone in this story is terrible, all the Spaniards, but like Ovando, he wasn't, he literally was not believing the truth like he he literally created his own fake news just to have an excuse to kill these people like he there's no reason he, he did yeah. there's no reasoning with someone like that and thankfully i mean statues of columbus are slowly being taken down across the country and statues of anacaona have risen up in various places uh, especially across hispaniola and over the years people have written songs and poems to honor her and now she is remembered as a heroine and a leader and a resistor and one of the few people to stand up in any way to one of the worst colonizers in history. And that's the story of Anna Kaona. I, you know, that story, it's very sad. It's very sad. But it's the first time I've actually heard a full story of like this was the direct impact of Columbus. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times when we talk about Christopher Columbus, we talk about like permanently connecting the two halves of the hemisphere. And yeah. it's like, but his men raped and murdered people. And it's so ambiguous. Yeah. But to hear it, like these were the people, these were yeah. their names. These mm -hmm. were their children. This is who they married. It, yeah. and it I changes also, the scenario. It does. And I feel like, Again, when we put such a broad blanket of like he raped and pillaged, it's like, but who did that happen to? Right. And in this case, statistic, not a name. Yeah, right. exactly. And now like we have a name of like the people that were affected by this and the culture that was 
nearly completely lost because of this. And it also, I think it painted a picture for me of like, I always think of it kind of happening very quickly. Mm. And the fact that it was such a slow burn of them just being on this island, like taking from these people for 11 years. Yeah. And I also think also it paints a good picture of like, Obviously, the opposition within the people from Spain and Portugal should have risen up sooner. Mm -hmm. But it does paint a picture of, like, not everybody was for this. There are people who said, like, I disagree with what you're doing, but I don't have the power to change it. Which is, like, maybe if we could all just stop that mentality, we could all have the power to change things. And it, it almost makes me think, too, like, if, like, because that was her whole plan was to be, like, Okay, if we get, you know, the soldiers to see us as people, they will resist. And they did. So if that had been allowed to continue for longer and, like, she maybe would have even gotten more of those soldiers kind of on her side, it could have been a different situation. Like, she didn't have that much time because it all kind of happened in the course of, like, I think, like, two or three years the very end. Right. But, yeah, it just... But what an incredible story for 29 years to have that much impact and like to continue. Like, it sounds like she continually had hope Mm -hmm. regardless Mm. of her situation. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it because I wasn't sure how to like really wrap it up because it is like, fuck, like she did this plan, this really well thought out plan for years and then was still killed. Yeah. Like, but yeah, I think that's a good way to put it is like, yeah, she had hope. Hmm. all right ready well, for more drinks i'm ready for more drinks <laughs> we'll be right back and another sad story it's like this one's a little bit better <laughs> this is stephanie and tux <laughs> From the podcast Beyond Reproach, a show about political scandals from American history, but it's fun, we swear. The idea behind our show is that politicians and government officials are meant to be public servants, and their behavior should be beyond reproach, but if history has taught us anything, it's that a lot of politicians are total scumbags. So we decided to do a show where we drink period-appropriate historic cocktails while exploring some of the government scandals and shitty politicians of America's past. We are not historians. We're just a couple of drunks who never shut up and love history. We hope you'll join us on Beyond Reproach for some big facts, good laughs, a little bit of swearing, a lot of drinking, and a real good time. America's history is juicy. We just add gin. (laughs) Uh, So I feel a thousand. um, Because when I started teaching, I had no children. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and now one of my students is coming over on Saturday to hang out with my kids because they're friends, <laughs> like, from outside of school. Wait. Because my kids are in fifth grade. Oh, that's right. And they're in sixth grade. Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> okay, that and is they're weird. Like, they're, like, leaving today. And they're like, see you on Saturday, Miss Greenwood. I was like, oh, Lord. It's weird because, like, your students used to, like, babysit your yeah. kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now they're... <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> so I'm a thousand years old now. That, now, so we're all <laughs> aware. Are you ready for a new cocktail? I'm ready. What is this? Um, 
so I wanted this to look like a Manhattan. Okay. But not be a Manhattan. Definitely does. Um, it's supposed, yeah, it looks like an old fashioned, like a Manhattan, like mm-hmm. very traditional drink. But yeah. then you take a sip and it's not. Ooh, okay. Okay. So it is obviously the bourbon. Uh-huh. There's sweet vermouth. There is um, simple syrup. There's lemon, two dashes of bitters, and a maraschino cherry. Okay. So it's a little wild. Cheers. Cheers. Pretty mm. good, right? I like it. There, because you're right. It looks like a Manhattan, but, but it, it tastes, tastes kind of sweet, kind of sour. It, it feels like a whiskey sour, right? But and this is gonna sound crazy, but like there's like a little bit of coconut on the end. I don't know where that's coming from, but there's like a really nice sweetness at the end. It it it's like a very easy bourbon drink. Mm-hmm. I just. It had to look classy, but be so not um, what you were expecting. Yeah. No, I definitely wasn't expecting all the acidity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's very good. I like it. Great. Still on a roll. <laughs> Still, Still going strong. <laughs> anyway, that's called the um, Contralto 100. Okay. Um, which is a type of singer, which we'll find out. Okay. <laughs> what do you know about Miriam? I kept this week calling her Miriam, and I know that's not her name. <laughs> Marian. I always call her Marion. <laughs> yeah, Marion. I mean, but th- I just say A's wrong. Right. I always have and always will. Marion Anderson. Um, so I know that she was a very famous singer. She uh-huh. was very good at it. And she is famous because she was turned away by the Daughters of the American Revolution to sing in their hall. So she, like, did a concert at, like, the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, it was, like, yeah. this huge deal. Uh-huh. But that's all I know. I don't yeah. know where she's from. I don't know what happened after that incident. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm very excited to learn. Yeah. And that's her big story. Um, and I think that's like her coolest story. Yeah. But her life surrounding it is so very interesting because the level of non-bitterness that this woman has mm-hmm. is unbelievable to me like i hate it when a person throws me shade like by just looking at me weird <laughs> and she handled everything with so much grace okay so marion anderson was born in philadelphia on february 27th 1897 1897 1897 is when she was born that seems so long ago but it's not because she just died in like the 90s you know what's so funny is that's the year that the other person i accidentally researched this week was born <laughs> she was born in 1897 wow well because we'll like, now next week i was listening to it and like i was listening to this obviously this, i was researching her uh-huh. and they're like a woman born in the 1800s i was like who's born in the 1800s <laughs> like what <laughs> what when how <laughs> Not nobody yeah. know how. <laughs> um, okay. Her dad was John Berkeley Anderson, and he sold ice and coal and liquor. Okay. And her mom was Annie Delilah Rucker. And she was briefly a school teacher, but there were like rules against uh, black people being school teachers. So she earned an income mostly from caring for children. Okay. So Marion had three siblings. She's the oldest, and then there's two younger girls. So she's one of three girls. Marion's parents were both devout Christians, like super-duper Christians. And her Aunt Mary was her biggest supporter as a child. Also, I'm a strong believer that aunts should get gifts on Mother's Day. So everybody (laughs) listening, it's coming up in May. 
<laughs> I, I find this is like a big passion of mine. I feel like ants need to be treated well on Mother's Day. I, uh, <laughs> I just remember the year that I got flowers for Mother's Day as a childless woman. And <laughs> our other sister-in-law got really mad. She was like, Katie's not a mother. And I was like, what? I help kids. I have a dog and a cat. Like, I took them to the vet today. Like, childless parents are so important. We help. They're like literally the number one. Like, <laughs> when I was, okay, so I had to take Caroline's lunch to school the other day. And I, like, in my head was like, I should just call Katie. You should have. And then I was like, no, fuck me. Oh my God. You absolutely should have called that's me. That's the thing. I know I could. And that's why I give. I was probably already I was at the Target by her school. You were like right next door. Like, I'll get her a hot dog. <laughs> yeah, but the point is, like, I just ants with children and childless ants are amazing creatures that help raise children without any of the accolades. So everybody, <laughs> bow down. Thanks. Anyway, okay. Her aunt Mary convinces her to join the junior choir at their church at the age of six. And she performs solos and duets. Most of the duets are with her aunt. So there's a little bit of an ulterior (laughs) motive. (laughs) And her aunt also arranges for her to sing at local functions for 25 to 50 cents a piece. So she's like a little girl making money for singing. By her early teens, she was making up to four or five dollars for singing, which wow. is a considerable amount in like the twenties. That's a life-changing amount of money in the twenties. <laughs> yeah, you buy a house with five dollars in the twenties. <laughs> yeah, my parents, my parents' house was paid off in like three years, and That's I'm like, insane. I'm so jealous of you. So, at the age of ten. Um, Miriam joined Marion <laughs> joins the people's chorus of Philadelphia, where she was a frequent soloist at 12 years old. Her father receives this terrible head injury at work. Mm. He's working for Reading terminal, mm-hmm. like from monopoly mm-hmm. Reading railroad and is struck in the head with a steel beam. <gasps> But because he was black, the local hospital refused to treat him. So he died shortly after. What? They should be held accountable for manslaughter. That's insane. Yes. It's terrible. What? I know. And because all this. They'll help John Wilkes Booth, <laughs> but not this guy? Let's help out John. What? Johnny Boy. I hate that. Okay. Yeah. Unacceptable. It's very upsetting. So because of all of this, they moved to the grandparents' house where she becomes really close with her grandfather who had been a slave. He was an emancipated slave. Yeah. And I just want that to ring clear because we're two generations away from yeah. emancipated slaves. So that's important. But anyway, um, she moves in, becomes really close with him, and then he dies like a year later. So now it's two adult women, her mom and her grandma, and three young girls that this family is supporting. So, of course, they can't pay for music lessons. They can't get her into high school. So Marion continued to perform wherever she could and learn from anyone who was willing to teach her. Throughout her teenage years, she remained active in church and you know, is starts to get involved in the church's adult choir. So now her voice has matured. There's this woman named Ida who is heavily involved in the colored youth programs and decides to throw a gala. And this gala raises $600 so that Marion 
could take singing lessons at South Philadelphia High School. They're raising all this money for her. The <sighs> whole Philly community is behind her. She goes to this all-white music school, waits in line all day to sign up. She's there. Everybody's filling in paperwork. Everybody's putting stuff in. All the white kids are called before her. She's in line all day. She finally gets called at the very end of the day, um, and they just take her paperwork and say, we don't take Negroes, <gasps> and we never will. What? Ever. Like, after they made they her get, wait all day, why they not get their just, money back? I, yeah, I don't think they ended up having to pay for okay. it, but it's like, why make her sit there and wait all day? Were you embarrassed to say it in front of somebody else? Now, also, this is the 1920s and 30s. This is pre-World War II. This is pre-Civil Rights Movement. Oh, my God. But, like, you know, you know, Philadelphia had, like, the largest, other than New Orleans, Philadelphia had the largest population of free black people pre-Civil War. So it's, like, very shocking that there just, like, was not a system in place for this. Oh, my God. So somehow she is undaunted by this. She's just like, okay, I'm not let in. I'm going to go and find private lessons with this money that they raised. And she gets a lot of support from the black community in Philadelphia. So she meets Giuseppe Bogatti and he, the principal of like one of her old schools gets her in contact with this guy and she auditions for him, Bogatti and or Bogetti. And he is immediately brought to tears when she starts singing. She's singing deep river. And he was like in two years of training, I can get you anywhere in the world. Oh my gosh. Anywhere. So she's really good. So he schedules recitals for her in New York and has her make these two recordings for Victor Records Company of Deep River and My Way Cloudy. Even though she's an incredible voice and has an incredible voice coach, she's turned away on a regular basis because she's black. Everything was small up to like 1925. And then she gets kind of her first big break. Um, Bogetti signs her up for this competition in New York and she won. And as the winner, she got to perform with an orchestra in New York in oh 1925. And the performance was pretty well received by both the audience and the critics. Everybody's like, yeah, she's pretty fucking good. So after this point, she continues to study in New York and this guy, Arthur Judson is like, I want to be your manager. So she's like, of course, you can be my manager. Sign me up. Over the next several years, he helps her set up and perform a number of times in the United States. But, of course, racial prejudice prevented her career from gaining any momentum. She did, however, have her first performance at Carnegie Hall in 1928. Wow. 1928! That's a long fucking time ago. That's almost a hundred years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That following year, um, Marion performed at the orchestra hall in Chicago and the performance had measured praise. A lot of people were like, yeah, she's good, but needs training, which of course, because you keep fucking turning her away. Of course she doesn't have training. However, there were two philanthropists in the crowd who were like, Apply for the um, Rosenwald Fellowship and you can get $1,500 and go study in Berlin in Germany. And she was like, okay, I'll apply for it. She gets it. And, of course, Europe. 
as we know, oh my gosh, is much better with black people, yeah, than the United States in the 1920s and 30s. <laughs> so she gets this fellowship and she ends up having such a successful singing tour and career in Europe. She starts in London in 1933 and just sets off Marian fever everywhere. She's go obviously training in Berlin and she meets this Finnish pianist who becomes like the guy who plays the piano for her all the time and his wife like loves her it's such a great professional relationship and that's all happening in Scandinavia and the people in Europe are saying this is a voice you hear once in a hundred years mm. so 1934 Sol Maroc offered Marion a better contract than the previous dude and she's like of course I'll take it yeah be my new manager. I love that. But he persuades her to go back to the United States. Ugh. Because doors had been opened in Europe where music lovers love her, she does get a decent billing in the United States. So she comes back to New York. She does her second large performance there, one before she left, one after she came back. And there is like highly favorable music critics. Like she is so good. Now the name of this cocktail has to do with her being a contralto, which is the lowest register of soprano. Huh. So it's like the the lowest you can be before you turn from a soprano to an alto. Okay. And she's offered roles in New York operas. They're like, you need to come. You need to be on stage. You are amazing. But she turned them down. She's like, I don't want to do that because I can't act. Because she has no faith in herself. I honestly oh. believe that any man that was offered a, a role in an opera who was a good singer would have been like, yeah, I can do it. Or like, frankly, like many like white women. Oh, yeah. I just agree. Been yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, sure. Like, you know, like I because also like they'd probably been like trained to do that. Like, you know, this is white music schools. So, like you could be asked to be in an opera one day. So like this is how you do it. And like there's just no. How can you build up confidence when all you've been hearing your half of your entire career is no, you can't do that. So like, of course that's going to get in your head. Yeah. And it, it is just such like a notion of like higher classes to be like, Oh, you offer me this thing I've never done before. Of course I'll do it. Yeah. And it, the same is true with job applications today. It's like you only need to be qualified for 60% of the things on the job application, but women and people of color will look at the requirements and say, I can't do that job. Whereas right. men and white people will look at it and go, well, they'll look, they'll overlook my yeah. problems. Yeah. So it's one of the things where she was just like, I can't do that. So Marion still was not immune to Jim Crow laws. Uh, she was given approximately 70 shows a year in the United States but oftentimes she would leave her shows and be turned down by hotels and restaurants like she couldn't come in. So our good friend Albert Einstein steps in. What? <laughs> Who knows? That's insane. He was a champion for racial tolerance and he began to host Marion or Marion whenever 
um he could wow he's like if they deny you from a hotel cool come over my house i'm gonna feed you dinner you can spend the night here it'll be great her last time spending the night at his house was like just months before he died that's so crazy yeah just all the time he's like marion come stay with me it'll be fine i'm also gonna be honest he's such a solo figure in history that i never put him in a specific time for like i know he's, he's like, like salvador dolly yeah we're like where were you they're just solo to me like i like i don't know like i just don't know who he knew or when he lived <laughs> and you know how when somebody messes <laughs> and i read up- a whole book about his wife like <laughs> but do you know how like when somebody messes up and you're like nice job einstein yeah <laughs> i feel like every time somebody does something racially sensitive we should be like nice job einstein we should, like, <laughs> we <should>, like <laughs> flip the <laughs> flip the card on how to handle the einstein comment <sighs> anyway let's talk about the number one enemy in this story the daughters of the american revolution i'm ready for it the dar <laughs> um so also like i could not be a part of the daughters of the american revolution you have to have like a thorough true bloodline like they have to be able to track you to like a founding member of the constitutional world oh yeah absolutely it's It's (laughs) it's like one step away from being like do you have what is it not hypothermia (laughs) that blood disease is gonna be a no the one that alexi had Damn, it was gonna be a really good. Oh joke. no, I know what you mean. In um, oh, in oh, yeah. hemophilia. Hemophilia. Yes. They're like, if you literally don't have hemophilia, you probably don't have you were not a pure like, enough bloodline. You were not the, the Romanovs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Ooh. So this is 1939, and she's supposed to give Marion is supposed to give a performance at Constitution Hall on Easter Sunday, and the DAR deny her they're like there is no way this is white performers only and it's not like she didn't set up this performance somebody else set up the performance and then invited her and they're like no absolutely not she can't be here in addition to having rules on like performances at constitution hall washington dc was also a segregated city so even if she did perform it couldn't be an interracial crowd so it's just like It would have been really hard for people to see her. So this famous singer who is asked to come on a really famous holiday is like, they're like, no, you can't, you can't sing here for some reason. So the head of DC's NAACP is like, this is insane. I'm going to have this interracial meeting to put together the heads of this new club called the marion anderson citizens committee m-a-c-c named after her wow um and the dar might be a tough nut to crack but let's pick at the board of education and see if we can get marion to perform at a public high school they're going from constitution hall to a public high school this is what that's the, disrespectful that's what the naacp is asking for they're like can we please just a high school that's all oh we want God. it is so disrespectful so with all this ensuing fervor um there's a public protest that's planned many women start resigning from the dar <laughs> they're like we don't stand for this racist decision 
We hate it. Oh, in a good way. Yeah. I thought. <laughs> no, they're resigning. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They're good resigning good. like we don't want to be part of the DAR if they're not going to let Marion sing. And well, that's good. It is very good. The <laughs> biggest resignation from the organization came as a shock when First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt <gasps> stepped down from the DAR. Oh, my gosh. Because of Marion. And said, and I quote, I am in complete disagreement with the attitude taken in refusing Constitution Hall to a great artist. You had an opportunity to lead in an enlightened way. And it seems to me that your organization has failed. <sighs> Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Eleanor Roosevelt tells it like it is. She's not ashamed. No, she's not. <sighs> my gosh so as the controversy grows the public is supporting marion's right to sing the philadelphia tribune writes like a group of tottering old ladies (laughs) (laughs) don't know the difference between patriotism and prudishism (laughs) they're being real rude have compelled this gracious first lady to apologize for their national rudeness (laughs) title of my memoir national rudeness yeah i, I hope i hope that <laughs> so eleanor is like you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna throw my weight around i'm gonna throw my weight around so if marion can't perform indoor on easter sunday there's no reason she can't perform outdoor makes sense to me it's april it'll be fine and wouldn't it be fun if she did it on the lincoln memorial oh my god <laughs> I'm going to set that up. As the first lady, I'm going to call in a few favors. I'm going to set it up. She'll be outside, so she's not breaking any rules. Nothing's happening that's wrong. Marion comes early. She does her sound check. She looks out over the empty mall. She tests her mic. She stands on stage. She figures out her cues and practices singing. She's no stranger to performances. She'd performed for crowds of five thousand in europe she's like this is gonna be a piece of cake she gets back later that day and police have to get her out of the car and she has to be escorted to backstage not because people are violent but because there's so many people to see her to see her so she walks out on stage in her big fur coat like a boss to a mic that is set up in front of Abe Lincoln and is astonished. The mall is full. I mean, around the entire reflecting pool. I mean, like Forrest Gump style. <laughs> Not MLK. MLK Forrest Gump. style. <laughs> all the way. All the way full. There were 75,000 people. Oh, my gosh. Who showed up on Easter morning to hear her sing. And she says, I had such a feeling that I had never had before. These people had been standing outside for hours. 200 public figures were sitting behind her on stage who signed up to support the event. From Supreme Court justices to movie stars. They were like, no, she deserves to be here. And the biggest surprise was the diversity of the crowd. It's a Astonishing. There were different races, different ages, different socioeconomic statuses. And she looks majestic as she walks out to the mic to sing. 
but also looks really small in oh, front of this I'm sure statue. it's like the biggest like, monument ever. It's like Lincoln it's, behind her like, I did this for you. Which is like so annoying. There are some statues where like Lincoln looks like he's like handing slaves his grace and this is the most insulting statues. This is not like that, but it is reminiscent of yeah. that. Um, but it is like Eleanor Roosevelt, like trying to like slap in the face, the DAR, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like the American revolutions before the civil war were well after that, like grow some balls yeah, and like make a decision. Yeah. Um, okay. So I just, she's coming out and performing to this group of 75,000 people who I personally believe have an irrational hope at this time. This is mm. the 1930s. Yeah. They're thinking we're almost breaking through these racial barriers and they are fucking not. We like have still not broken through those barriers. But this woman comes up to the mic and first sings my country tis of thee and then sings an old slave spiritual declaring the citizenship of black women in the United States. This is my country. I was a slave. It's Easter Sunday. Let's all understand all these three things in conjunction. Yeah. With one another. Yeah. An eyewitness from the crowd said there descended among the multitudes a reverent silence. Mm. After singing, Marion spoke to the crowd for the first and only time. She said, my dear friends, I'm so overwhelmed that I cannot express myself. I hope you will never. Oh, not never. I hope you will ever find me grateful for all the things you've done for me. Please try to find me grateful for all the things I cannot say. I think she's blown away. She's not a speaker. She'd never been expected to speak in public. And now she's like, oh, my God, there's thousands of people here. Two months later, Eleanor Roosevelt came out on her weekly radio show and presented Marian Anderson with a Distinguished Achievement Award. In 2001, that radio broadcast became part of a documentary film, and the NBC radio coverage of that event was put in the National Recording Registry. So it is like wow. a moment in history. Just a few years after this event, in 1943, she married in a small private ceremony to Orpheus H. Fisher. He had asked her to marry him when they were teenagers, but she had been around the world and back again. At one point, the reverend who married them, his wife wrote a book called The Women My Husband Married, including Marian Anderson. It's Uh. the name of the book. (laughs) Colon, including Marian Anderson. Um, Here's a note for your you can I want you to get pissed off about this okay no uh she and Orpheus are going to get married and they have a spot picked out at the church perfect location (laughs) but there was a bake sale that day so they had to move it (laughs) can you believe it I'm sorry (laughs) I (laughs) that's ridiculous I don't understand a bake sale I mean you had to Move yours for a literal worldwide pandemic eight times. Outrageous. Sorry, we're selling Rice Krispies over oh, here. Oh, my bad. Which is funny because... It's the DAR sticking it to her again. You know what's funny? It's the first time, though, that I did move my wedding. We had to find a new venue. And they're like, 
ooh, but we can't have it at the time that you want because we have some uh, a community day planting trees. And I was like, I do get that's very important. <laughs> Come on. I was like, oh, day. come on. Move the day. No, they can't. It's no, fine. Move but the day. Into, it's not Earth, that it's anywhere it's close. Earth they literally day, have to so be on the property to we're plant get, the, the fucking lightning's trees. lightning's going to strike us. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's literally Earth Day as we speak. Um, can you not plant the trees and clean up the garden? Mm. <laughs> Hi, my name is Katie Appleseed. And <laughs> I am a direct descendant. <laughs> the daughters of the American Appleseeds. <laughs> my last name is literally Greenwood. <laughs> <laughs> so I run all this. <laughs> Um, okay. When she married, she gained a stepson. They got a three-story Victorian farmhouse with a hundred acres in Connecticut. Wow. Mostly her money. And her husband had a rehearsal studio built for her and it's on the property. And Marion lived in that house for 50 years. Now, it is currently on the Connecticut Freedom Trail. It's one of the 60 sites. During World War II and the Korean War, Marion entertained the troops. During the wartime effort, the DAR invited her to perform at Constitution Hall. And of course, because Marion is a perfect human, she went without complaining, without whining, without rubbing it in their faces. And she says, when I got on stage, there was no sense of triumph. <laughs> this is not a win. This is like a <sighs> condolence prize. In 1953, she headlined the Ford's 50th anniversary show, which was broadcast on NBC and CBS. She sang, he's got the whole world in his hands and the battle hymn of the Republic to 60 million viewers so just like that earlier radio show this is a considered a landmark of television people coming to see her on the show and they said it's quote a milestone in the cultural life of the 50s in 1955 marion became the first african-american singer to perform at the metropolitan opera and in the following year her autobiography my lord what a morning was published and became a best <gasps> Seller. My God. Without Oprah to to like promote it too. Like how did things become bestsellers before Oprah? I literally don't know. Who said it? Who said it's my favorite thing? In nineteen fifty seven, she sang for Dwight D. Eisenhower's inauguration, toured India, across the Far East, became a goodwill ambassador for the US State Department. Her tour of Asia was thirty five thousand miles in twelve weeks, giving twenty four concerts. Ike also appoints her as a delegate to the United Nations Human Rights Committee. And then she gets elected as a fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Science. So now we're with the Roosevelt's and the Eisenhower's. And then JFK is like, can you sing at my inauguration? So in 1962, she sings at the Kennedy inauguration and then goes and tours Australia and then becomes active in the civil rights movement and sang at the March on Washington. The other one. Oh my God. The big one. <laughs> the aforementioned. And then in 1963, she's awarded a new medal called the presidential medal of freedom. No. And this is a brand new thing. And she gets it. Is she one of the first She's people? She's one of the first people to get the Presidential Medal of Freedom. That's insane. Okay. But then she does my favorite thing. She does this whole story. She releases an album. And the name of the album is Snoopy Cat. The, in- 
The Adventures of Marian Anderson's Cat Snoopy. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know, but I feel like her artistic drive just went off the deep end with her cat. I love that story. Wow. That's like the type of album you expect someone to make after being locked in their house for a year or because like of COVID. Being a YouTube star. Yeah. <laughs> Snoopy cat. Okay. The Adventures. Doesn't of- she know Snoopy's a dog, though? I. <laughs> I know. Maybe Schultz stole it from her. Peanuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, okay. So in 1965, she retires from singing, but she still makes public appearances as a town resident of Connecticut. She tried to live this really normal life and would like turn down gifts from restaurants and stores oh. and be like, I'm not a celebrity. But everybody's Stop. like, you're, you're absolutely a celebrity. <laughs> Why did you come in wearing the Presidential Medal of Freedom? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I meant to put my money down, not my presidential medal of freedom. <laughs> She's like slipping it. Did down. that slip out? <laughs> my bad. She gives it to officers with her license. Like when she gets pulled over, like, who me? <laughs> Okay, so in 1986, her husband passed away after 43 years of marriage, but she continues her life on. And is honored in so many ways. She gets peace prizes and medals and 24 honorary doctorates. She gets put in the National Women's Hall of Fame. She's christened in boats with champagne bottles. Ah, I love that. Obviously, she's the first person to be honored with the Eleanor Roosevelt Human Rights Award. She uh, gets a gold commemorative medal from the U.S. Treasury and then gets a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Grammys. What? She's won every award. Uh, Every award that exists. So in 1992, Marion left her farmhouse. Her husband had died, you know, about eight years earlier. She goes to move in with her nephew. She's getting old. And then next year, 1993, she passed away due to heart failure at the age of 96 and is buried in Pennsylvania. There we go. And that's Marion's story. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Tied up in a bow. It is pretty straightforward. It's just bam, bam, bam. There we go. This and this. And then I went there. She did so much. Like, what a life, what honestly. A, she did so much in 96 what years. A, like, really, though, what <laughs> yeah. a life for someone that we really don't know. We don't know her name. And she was very disenfranchised her whole life as well. Yeah. So it's pretty incredible. Wow. Hmm. Well, I think we need to talk about these two women in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay. Peaceful. I think they were very peaceful and very, like... I think that they had a level of tolerance that I personally don't know. I don't have it. But because I've never had to not have it. You know, I could always get away with flying off the handle. (laughs) And, like, these women couldn't. Like, there was so much more at stake. Because if Marion had, like, reacted probably the way that, like, she should have, she had the right to react that way, they would have been like, See, angry black woman. That's why we don't work with them. Right. They're like ridiculous, you know? And then it's like if Anna Kayona had literally done anything but be super nice, they would have murdered not, her and her family that's the thing. and her children. For her, everyone. it wasn't murdering just her. She's like, I would sacrifice my own life. I'm sure right. she would have, but it was her entire people. Right. And I think that's part of the um it's so hard to like Marian Anderson rose above the ranks because she had this like supreme talent. And it is so sad that we can't just see a normal woman of color as 
worth it. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, Marion, you're really good at singing. So we're all going to put our neck on the line with you. Yeah. And it's I I absolutely hate that because it's so unfair. Like, I know a lot of kids in poor communities are like, I want to be a star. I want to be an athlete because that's my ticket out of this hell. Well, you know what it kind of reminds me of? So there's a really great podcast, Ear Hustle. It's all set inside San Quentin prison. And like the guy who produced it, you know, eventually like got let up because he like got kind of famous, you know, and Mm. like people like, oh, he's like a human. And like, you know, I think like he would have gotten it eventually, but I think he like had like three strikes. So like he, I think would have been in a lot longer, but like people literally just listening to him talk and do something and like whatever were like, oh, he's a human. People are people. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well you can get out. And it's like, what about all the other people that are like wrongfully imprisoned for like marijuana charges and things like that? Like just because you just so happen to get to know this one person, like it, like what, how does that make everyone else feel? Oh, you know like what I'm saying? And it's like, like, I have friends that are black. It's yeah, like, exactly. And like, it's like, cares. it's like, am I glad that like Marion Anderson like did get to have some level of success and like this guy got out of prison? Like, absolutely. But like, we also can't ignore that there's a whole systemic problem. It's just like, you know, Derek Chauvin was found guilty this week and like, that's incredible, but we can't just be like, great. We always have these moments, I feel like, in American history, like, oh, there we go. Racism's over. That's like, it. he got convicted. And it's like, <laughs> no, there is still work to be done. <laughs> like, that's not enough. It will never be enough to make individualized decisions. Well, and I, I also think they both spoke from the women of color standpoint as women. Yeah. Because they both were like very like I'm into the arts. I'm Mm -hmm. into poetry. I'm into this. I'm into that. And it seemed very like people were very willing to see these women as women, Mm -hmm. which made it a little bit more comfortable. I think that men are more threatening just in Mm -hmm. general. So like men of color have that threatening attribute where both of these women were very passive, very calm and also artistic. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one of the things that you kind of said that like kind of made me think of that was like, you know, someone said of Marion that like you hear a voice like that once in a hundred years. And I just kind of thought about, you know, the fact that Ana Kayona was a singer too, but like, we don't have any access to any of her work or anything like that or anything that had just simply been like passed down because her people were erased. And it's just like how many voices and artists have we lost to colonialism and things like that? Yeah. You know? And it it also seemed like both of the women, like, so Christopher Columbus and D.A.R. And when I say Christopher Columbus, I'm talking about like the larger colonial issue. Right. We like to, uh, again, we like to attribute it to one person. It's It's a whole system that allowed and enabled and encouraged him to colonize and do all the horrible things that he did. Yeah. So it's like, colonizers and also i guess the d the dar also considered like a colonizing crew. yeah absolutely so in general they're looking at these two women and saying yeah you and what army and they're like this army yeah look at the national mall look yeah. at the people on this island like look at us well, we're humans and i wrote that like with both of these kind of people they i feel like they double crossed them mm. you know what i'm saying of being like no like yeah, like, we're going to have, like, peace talks and, like, everything's going to be fine. And, like, I'm not going to take your land. Like, I swear, you know? And then, like, 
the DAR just kind of flipping it on Marion and being like, oh, no, you're not allowed to perform here, you right. know, like, because one of the things I kind of wondered is if, like, you know, someone initially is like, oh, Marion Anderson's probably a white woman, sure. And then someone was like, no, she's black. And they're like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah, like we have her here. oh, my gosh. And then they had to kind of like, flip around you know what yeah, i'm saying and it's like, also like it's such a it's such a tarnish on womanhood too because yeah. the dar is they're protecting their husbands mm-hmm. so as much as like they may have wanted to they know they can't have like a tarnish on their record yeah because they're not the men of the american revolution Mm-mm. they're literally just women who have been related to them yeah but i think it's neat how we can flip this narrative where like for Am I saying it right? Anacona? Anacona. Anacona. Like, people in her life are being taken across the ocean for slavery. And then in terms of Marion, when she gets to Europe, she's more free. So it's like the narrative had been flipped because in the time it took for those two stories to unravel, many people in Europe had seen the error in their ways. And by no means has every country in Europe, like, got its shit together. Mm -hmm. But... They had uh, America was one of the last countries to really handle the slavery issue. And we really still haven't yet. Oh, no. The Civil like, War began the day our country started and it's still going on. The dis- the um, dissonance between the North and the South has never <sighs> gone away. And no. it was it never was not. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. when we were fighting over ratifying the constitution, it had to do with what the Northern and Southern states wanted. This is not, it's not miraculous that this happened in our country. Yeah. Like, yeah. It has been 250 years of the same bullshit. Yeah. Well, and I also, you said the term irrational hope and I felt like that. So, affected both of them. I feel like they both, and I feel like it affects people of color today. Like they almost have to have an irrational hope or else you would just like, I don't even know. Like, because at some point you kind of have to look at it and be like, it is irrational to think that I'm going to see, like, I wish it wasn't, but it feels that way that I'm going to see change in my lifetime. And like Anna Kayona, like she had to keep that hope alive in her community that like, if they just pushed on a little longer, a little longer, a little longer, things would change. And Unfortunately, both of them had to have that hope while also putting on this really like sweet, nice face, right? which I'm sure is not how they felt inside. Mm-mm. And uh, I just hate that like they had to be kind of like the cheerleaders for themselves and their people while also just like not be really being able to express their anger. Because I think that that is something that I think everyone has a right to is expressing their anger. I agree. And you know what you saying that really makes me second guess how I tell my children to deal with bullies. Mm. We all always are like, don't let them see that it hurts you, which is what both of these women did. They were just like, I'm going to keep going and I'm not going to let them see that it hurts me. Like, don't give them what they want. But it's like, sometimes open your fucking mouth and give them them what they want. (laughs) Be like, well, fuck you. You know, that's exactly right. Because you know what also both of them did was they called rifts. They caused rifts in the people who were trying to oppress them. Like, yeah. I mean, if you compare the Spanish soldiers all of a sudden being like, oh, no, like I here's my ha- horse. Get here's, out of here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I have a Taino family. I don't want them to die. 
I don't want them to be slaughtered. Yeah, for sure. Like, and then you have women in the DIR being like, I don't want to just ban all black performers forever. Like, I hope that's what they're thinking. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like there comes a time when people, it's no longer okay to just go along with what's happening. And thankfully there were people in both of these stories that did kind of like stand up and they're like, I don't like, this. no, I don't like this. And you know what? I'm going to say it. Right. And it's incredible that we even have records of that. Honestly, <laughs> especially with the, the Spanish cases. army, yeah, like the DAR, say, like, you would Roosevelt, think everything she did was recorded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you have people standing up so you can never at any time say that no one told the people in charge that what they were doing was wrong. It's right. something that we say all the time. Like that was a different time in history. That was a different time. It's like, no, yeah. no, no. But if wasn't. people literally in the 1500s were being like, that's not cool. <laughs> We've known all along. It wasn't cool. We like always we always knew and we chose not to say anything. And I just, I don't know. And I think it's really ironic that more people at Marian Anderson's concert than Donald Trump's inauguration. No, I was going to say left on the island of Hispaniola. <laughs> Literally left on the island. Yeah. There were 60,000 people left and there were 75,000 people at. Wow. Literally. Because sometimes I have a hard time with numbers. I have a hard time picturing what does that many people look like? So picture MLK's March and that's the entire population. Yeah. Of this entire island. Yeah, more than that. More than the island. Like, way more. What? Yeah. 60, like, I just, I thought that when you put something in numbers like that. It changes things, for it sure. It changes things. Like, I don't know. So, I thought that was a really interesting, like, when you said 75,000, I was like, fuck. Yeah, that's a lot of people to come here on Easter Sunday. Like, yeah, aren't yeah. Aren't kids finding eggs and shit? Like, <laughs> calm down. Uh, okay. Are you ready to toast these women? I'm ready to toast. Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? So I am such a bitter person. <laughs> and I carry grudges. And I actually pride myself in the grudges that I carry. And, like, when my friends are like, I'm tired of being angry about this. I'm like, here's my backpack. Throw it in. Throw <laughs> I'll be anger. angry about it for you. I will carry that on me. Because I just, like, it doesn't. Or at least I don't think it does. It doesn't personally affect me. Like mm. anger invigorates me. It makes me happy. Like it makes me feel strong. It gives and, me back pain. Uh, I'll, <laughs> my backpack. Throw it in. Throw it in my backpack. I will take it. But I am beyond impressed. And like I said, during your story, I sometimes think people, not just women, but people in general are faking when they're that yeah. And I am just so impressed with women that aren't bitter, but yeah. also understand how fucking shitty it is. Yeah. Because it's like, there are some people who aren't bitter and they're like, I have the same rights as everybody else. But then there's some people who are like, I have no rights and I'm going to choose to fight against it, but I'm also going to just be happy. And I'm like, how? There's yeah, so much yeah. anger inside there's of me. So much and I'm angry just so about. impressed. So thank you to people like that because I, I just want to toast you because I just don't understand it and I don't understand lacking bitterness because I love bitter people. There you go. <laughs> so, cheers to the not bitter. So mine's kind of in a similar vein. I'm, I wanted to toast women who don't take the easy route. I think that Anacona employed a method of resistance that was much more difficult on her personally 
You know, I felt like she was kind of taking the pain of everyone by having to be the person out front being like, everything's fine. I'm taking care of it. I can't imagine the stress that that had on her. And she had to put it all on herself and suffer quietly for a long time. Yeah. And that's the thing that gets me about her story is she was doing that for 11 years. She was playing nice with them for 11 years so that her people could feel safe. Mm. And I just feel like that couldn't have been easy, but she did it for the greater good. And I just really respect her for that because I feel like she did the best that she could in her really shitty situation. So cheers. Cheers. All right. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Have you ever seen the movie Swan Princess? (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay. It's a cartoon that's not Disney. I think it's the same vein as like Thumbelina. Um, Thumbelina. Yeah. It's that crew. Yes. I've seen like pictures of it and it always reminded me of Thumbelina. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So I loved it when I was a kid and I just want to promo it because I like showed it to my daughters recently and it's so very not Disney and you can. Yeah. Tell, oh yeah. Um, Because it's just the story writing's not as good. The animation's not as good. But this movie has the best young to adult montage <laughs> that will happen ever. Okay. And it's pre-Shrek. So the basic, <laughs> basic story. That's how we tell time here. Pre-Shrek and post-Shrek. <laughs> Marion Anderson and Anna Kayona, both pre-Shrek. No, why? Okay, it's pre-Shrek because the pre- That's what we mean when we say P.S. <laughs> Not post-scripts. Pre-Shrek. <laughs> My God. Okay, so... The princess turns into a swan every night when the sun goes down, which is like the whole storyline of Shrek, which is so ridiculous. But then like they're betrothed as children and like they don't like each other. And the whole montage of them growing up is them realizing that they like each other. But then he also has to save her from swanhood, but she hasn't told him that she turns into a swan at night. It's a great movie. Okay. And it's just. I think Swan Princess is a good cartoon to drink to. Like, if you need a night that you're just like, I want to watch something ridiculous with no plot. and that a, sounds nice. And a couple that ends up in love and the happily ever after. This is your story. Maybe it'll be my next bath movie. Sounds <laughs> like a good bath movie. Um, wait till you get to the montage. You will download it on your iPhone and listen to it over and over. The song is great. It's great. They age. It's like anything you can do, I can do better. <laughs> it's like one of those where the boy and girl hate each other and then slowly they're kissing by the end of the song. Oh, my like, God. That's okay. my life. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Is this an autobiography <laughs> of me? I'm sorry. Is that me and producer? <laughs> okay. Anyway, what are you? Um, you know, it's funny. I'm also promoting a movie because Casey and I never watch movies. <laughs> I'm a movie whore. I just never watched them. What and did you watch? we watched Baby Driver. And okay. I was just like, you know what? I want to watch like an action movie. Like we just never, again, we don't watch any movies, let alone action movies. So I was like, we're going to watch it. And I really liked it. Yeah. <laughs> because, and this is the reason that I thought I would like it in the first place. They basically wrote this script kind of around music cues. Mm-hmm. Like I heard once that like they gave the actors the script 
And they said, this is the song that's going to be playing. You need to listen to it while learning your lines. Oh, fun. Yeah. And it's just like, there was a lot to the movie. And of course, it's about like a getaway driver who falls in love and he's kind of caught up in the world of drugs and whatever, like bank robbing, not drugs, bank robbing. So anyways, it's just like a really, it's a good, fun movie and it has very good music okay so um Let's yeah watch it watch and baby driver baby like the main guy he's the getaway driver's name is baby and he is like so cute and he lives with like an older deaf guy who was his like foster dad so, so there's cute. a lot of sign language in it okay. which i wasn't expecting and i thought that that was really great because they feel like people who use sign language like don't get a lot of representation in movies. So I always like really get excited when like I see that, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. I just think it's cool because yeah. So anyways, so baby driver, I really enjoyed it. Well, do you know what's interesting? I think about movies Mm -hmm. is why I struggle with watching a movie versus like a television series. It's the same way I feel about reading a book instead of a series of books. It's like, Mm -hmm. what if I really fall in love with these characters and then there's no more. Yeah. I you know. th- I struggle with that. Like, I only pick up a book if it's, like, one of four. <laughs> it's like, I need there to be a four-part series of this because otherwise I don't want to invest my emotional awareness yeah. to, this, to these people that I'm never going to see again. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I got it. Okay. All right. Well, thank you Find all for everywhere. listening. Find us, us everywhere. We're so many places. <laughs> We're on all the social medias. We're now publishing two podcasts a week like psychos. Why? <laughs> that we've had so much. We love all of our regular listeners, of course. We love all of our patrons. And we just think you're the best, best, best people. Yeah. And please, if you like the show, just give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way mm-hmm. to just easily show support for the show it means the absolute world to us um so so yeah give it give it a shot if you have the time even if it's not a five star yeah you can give us a four star yeah we don't have anything but five (laughs) stars so i really feel like we need to play we're due we're We're due we're due due for a low star yeah so um go ahead and give us a terrible review if you have the time (laughs) and uh just know that we love you we care for you Mm -hmm. And we want you to never forget that well-behaved women are great with a curling iron. Yeah, they are. And I'm really bad with one. Me too. Obviously. And they rarely make history. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.